14, which is on pages 1046 of the Church Bibles. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the places, place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Well, as usual, it's going to be uh, helpful to have your Bible open in front of you, particularly that passage uh, from Luke 14, and uh, that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. You'll also find a sermon outline in the notes that you would have received at the door, uh, and that is there, and if you need pens, they're back or at the side that is over there. Now, we are starting... Uh, or not starting, this is week number two of our Vision 2020. That's why I've got this disturbing eyeball up on the screen. Uh, Not to freak you out, but to remind you that uh, we are looking not only back at the year that's been, but forward to that next year and asking ourselves, uh, what is the next step for Trinity Church Brighton? And one of the things that we have uh, focused in on is we decided that next year is going to be a year especially focused. Every year should be a year focused on mission, but next year especially. We need to, I think, uh, rethink and reaction evangelism. We need to think about how we do it and actually then work out how best to reach out into our community uh, with the message of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, as we work through Luke 14, uh, we're challenging uh, or we're being challenged from God's word about what that actually looks like. This morning, uh, the sermon is entitled Focus. And I want to actually ask you, and I'll get you to discuss amongst yourselves, um, funny question to ask, but why are you here? Okay, why are you here? I want you to talk, you have 30 seconds, come up with some answers. And don't just give me that blank stare. That doesn't work. Why? I don't know why I'm here. Why are you here? Okay. I am not going to put you on the spot and ask you for your answers. Uh, but let me tell you the, the danger. The danger of asking a question like, why are you here? Uh, is It actually provokes us to think, well, what am I looking for? What do I want? What is the thing that I am seeking? But if you know anything about Jesus, and you know anything about Christianity, you realise 
that they're kind of the wrong questions to ask, aren't they? And Jesus this morning provokes us to think about the question of focus. Are we in it for ourselves? Are we here for what we can get? Now, as Australians, uh, generally, I think it's fair to say, uh, Aussies don't like self-promotion. I studied for a while in the States. Uh, Americans have no problem in telling you how great they are. Really, they don't, do they? There's no one here this morning from America? No, that's good. Uh, It's really quite jarring as an Australian because... We tend to be downplayed. We tend to be understated. Uh, You know, you ask an Aussie how they're going, what do they say? They're not bad. Or, you know, fair to middling, that sort of thing. You ask a yank, they're like, oh, it could not be better. You know, they're just out there. And and they're so, in our eyes, self-promoting. And we stand and go, oh, my goodness. Like, but when you come across people like that, Let me tell you just how wonderful I am. Or maybe they don't have to say it. You can just see it oozing from them. It kind of sticks in the throat, yes? And I would like to suggest that sometimes Christians sharing the gospel can actually come across a little bit like that. Let me tell you what you need to hear. Let me set you right. That self-satisfaction, that self-assurance, that self-promotion. I've got it all together. I know all the answers. Let me tell you. It leaves a really bad taste in your mouth. But when you see true humility, when you see true service in action, it, it's compelling. When you see someone who loves other people, not for what they can get, but just because they are loving, just because it it overflows to others, it's compelling. And Jesus challenges us on that front this morning. We've got four points. They're there in your notes. Simple advice, eternal significance, so simple yet so difficult, and humility and service in action. So let's start. Now, where did we find ourselves last week? Remember, Jesus has come into a, a town and one of the leaders of the Pharisees, one of the chief religious guys, has invited Jesus for lunch on the Sabbath. And last week, we looked at the situation where all of a sudden, there was this guy critically unwell amongst the congregation. Uh, amongst the, Not the congregation, amongst the lunch gathering that is there. And uh, Jesus heals him. And there is this really awkward exchange where the religious people don't really want to answer Jesus' questions and he's really there uh, provoking them. He's rattling the cage. But Jesus, he doesn't get up and leave at that point. The lunch continues and it continues after today to the passage that we're actually looking at last week. Jesus remains with them. Jesus provokes them. Jesus shakes us up. Jesus broadens out our vision and gives us insight into our hearts. But here, 
he seems to take it down a notch. He gives us what seems to be some fairly proverbial advice. You could imagine going to the book of Proverbs or somewhere and finding this kind of social etiquette advice. Uh, He observes the guests are coming in and they are trying to strategically position themselves. And so he gives them a lesson in social etiquette. Verse 8. He says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited you both may come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. Simple, practical advice. Yes, it's not particularly difficult. Don't take the highest seat. Imagine someone's going to come in, they're higher up the social pecking order than you, you're going to get bumped and you're going to have to do the walk of shame. Okay, uh, it's like last night, I, I had the privilege of spending yesterday in the Anglican Synod, uh, that was kind of fun, uh, and uh, the guy who I'd given a lift with, his family uh, were unwell, and he got a text message telling him that his wife had a 38.5 fever, and so uh, he texts me, because we're sitting at separate tables in this large hall, and the archbishop's up on the stage, and all the people are there, he texts me, he says, like, can we go? Um, <laughs> It's evening prayer, okay? So if ever you're going to stand up and leave, it's probably not the moment. Everyone kind of looks at you and you kind of... You can imagine it. You've been publicly told, actually, you're not good enough to sit in this seat. Go down the bottom and you do the walk of shame. Take the lowest seat, Jesus says. Then then your host will come up and say, no, 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 you're too good for this seat, come up higher and you'll be honoured. Simple, practical advice. What he's saying, don't seek your own glory, let others give it to you. And then he gives a little bit more teaching. This stuff is a little bit different. He says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now at the time, uh, the social structures were built that you actually reinforced your position within a village, within a community, by inviting your peers and maybe people who are a little bit higher than you to meals, and then they would invite you and you would maintain this kind of status quo. And you wanted to make sure that you hung out with people at the right kind of level. And so you would work out who they were and you'd know where your family and according to your wealth and your position within society, and you would invite at that level. But Jesus actually says, this isn't what you should be doing. You shouldn't just invite those who will invite you. What he's not saying is you can never invite your family. He's not saying, okay, you've become a Christian. Okay, mum and dad, I've been reading Luke's gospel. 
this means I can never have you over for another meal, ever. Because Jesus tells me not to invite my brothers and sisters. Actually, I can invite my mum and dad. Maybe it's a way of not seeing your brothers and sisters if you don't like them very much. Luke 4, no, Jesus is not saying that. A little bit later on in Luke 14, uh, he tells us to hate our mothers and fathers. Now, Jesus uses this as a fairly provocative teaching style. Uh, and what he's saying is you've got to love God and him so much that it looks like hate. What he's saying here is that your pattern shouldn't be that you default to these people consistently. He doesn't, he's not saying you can never invite your friends for a meal. But he's saying if you only invite your friends for a meal, if you only invite those who can repay you, there is an issue. He's telling us to invite those who can't give you anything in return. Not to ask what's in it for me, but to seek to bless others. What he's saying, God will honour you. You can be honoured now by your friends if that's what you want. But if you want to be honoured by God, this is the way you might do it. Now, simple practical advice perhaps. But advice that has eternal significance. The end of verse 14, Jesus lets us in on a little bit of that eternal significance as he speaks about the resurrection of the righteous, the time where God will judge all people. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 tells us that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an an accounting for deeds done in the body. He tells us that we will be judged. And here... Jesus is drawing the fact that what we do now matters then. One of my uh, favourite movies, I've watched it many times. Anyone like Gladiator? Yeah. yeah. You've got this scene in this opening battle scene when uh, General Maximus is leading the Roman legions against uh, the, the hordes of Goths, uh, the, the, the Germanic hordes up there, and they're, they're not very nice. Uh, and there's Maximus, he's got his cavalry and he's secreted them round the back and he's trying to rev them up. And he says, what we do in life, do you remember the line? Echoes in eternity. He captures the idea that Jesus actually reflects here. It's not, not Maximus's idea, Jesus got it first. Okay, what we do now matters then. God holds us to account. But it's more than just that. He tells us in verse 7 that what he is teaching, or Luke gives us insight, that what he's teaching us is a parable. Okay, I thought this was simple, practical, social advice. No, it's a parable. And what is a parable? Well, a parable is a commonplace story that has a spiritual significance. It's an example of something just every day. A man went out into the field to sow seed. Okay, the parable of the sower. A a man was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho, the good Samaritan. A man had two sons, the prodigal son. This is a parable. He's using an everyday example to make an eternal point. And what is his point? Well, he spells it out for us in verse 11. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Lift yourself up, you will be put down. Put yourself down, you will be lifted up. Now, if you know the Bible and if you know Jesus, this is not something that is unique to this particular passage. Luke 13, Jesus says, There are many who will were last, they will be first, and the first who will be last. We've seen this before, haven't we? Matthew tells us, The one who wants to be great must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. If you want to be exalted, you must humble yourself. And if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. If you want to be first, you've got to serve. Jesus speaks a theme that is throughout Scripture. He picks up on the idea that God and the kingdom is all about reversals. It's all about reversing the world's attitudes, the world's values, the world's evaluations. It's about turning things upside down. And Jesus here is challenging our way of seeing things. Because our culture does what's in it for me very, very well. Yes? We reduce everything down to commercial transactions these days. Okay? And so, uh, are, are you... Are you on LinkedIn. Is anyone here on LinkedIn? Okay, there's a few people here. Why are you on LinkedIn? Because you need to forge relationships with people who can be advantageous within your career. It's a relationship that is a relationship of advantage. I'm linked with you so I can get something from that. Or maybe you want to link with me because uh, I've got something to offer you. Can I just say I've got about uh, two LinkedIn offers in my life. Uh, no one thinks it's particularly advantageous to be connected to me. That's okay. Being linked to a pastor is probably not going to get you ahead in your career. That's okay. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get over it. Okay. But our world works like this. The advice out there, if a relationship isn't working for you, what do you do? You ditch it, you walk away. You find something that meets your needs. Jesus tells us that's not how God's kingdom works. That's not what it looks like to be his disciple. What's in it for us? One of the things that kind of, if you really want to get under a, a pastor's uh, skin, if you're visiting here this morning and you want to get me going, tell me you've come church shopping um, that's a really good way of actually getting a pastor going. Um, because what you've then done, and sorry if you've come here thinking that you've come church shopping, uh, what you've done is you've turned us into a commodity, haven't you? And you're working out whether this group of people and the community here is able to meet your needs. You see how we do it? We do it all the time. Maybe you don't think you do. Think about, perhaps, your friendship group, whoever they are. Generally, if you belong to a group, they're often people who have common interests, they're people who are like you, maybe the same kind of age, they look the same, same kind of abilities. You may think you're very open. 
You may think that you're not just in it for what's there for you. But how do you welcome others into that friendship group? How do you take the person who's different, a different gender, a different race, a different age, different education, has different manners, a different religion? Because we're not very good at that. Because I'm looking for someone who can make me feel comfortable. And if you're different, so often that makes me feel uncomfortable. How do we do this? I think Jesus here challenges us that we so easily smuggle self to the center. We're so often self-serving. We may dress it up. We may make it look nice. But so often we are. It's such simple advice he gives, but it is so difficult to do. If you're um, paying attention, you might know the ir- notice the irony in Jesus' teaching here. Um, some people have noticed that Jesus is just telling you a different way to get ahead, isn't he? Okay? It's telling you that if you want to play the system in a different way, maybe a way that's more akin to us as Aussies, uh, more akin to our culture, well, put yourself down and then others will lift you up. Put yourself in last place, then others will get to first, and I'll still get to first place, I'll just get there by a different way. You can read Jesus' teaching here as radically self Centered. I'll take the lead, the lowest seat, so that the host will take me to the highest seat. I will invite the poor, so that Jesus will give me the fat paycheck on that last day. See how we can read Jesus's teaching as ultimate self-interest. And you know the the horrible thing about that is it turns other people once again into objects. And so if I invite the poor so I get a reward, am I showing any compassion on the poor? No. I'm using them. I'm exploiting them. I'm making them serve my end. They're useful tools so that Jesus gives me the thumbs up on the last day. Do we do this with people? Do we focus on ourselves? Do we think that we could perhaps even use God like this. I do the right things by God so that he will give me stuff. He will give me the reward. He will give me glory. We can smuggle self to the center of our Christian lives. And it's a problem. And the problem goes deep. The prophet Jeremiah spotted it thousands of years ago. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful because we crave recognition, don't we? Even if the audience is just ourselves, even if we're doing it just to build ourselves up, I am a good person. I am a compassionate person. I am a righteous person. 
Maybe you don't use that language, but that's what you're saying. I am building a self-image. Others, we want them to praise us. I find this. It's interesting, I was having lunch with a friend during the week and uh, he's a friend who um, has that kind of brutal honesty. Have you got those friends? And he said to me a while ago, he said, Cameron, I think, um, I think you're insecure. I'm like, okay. <laughs> if I wasn't, I am now. <laughs> but I actually went away and I thought about what he said. And I thought, mostly, I'd say, no, I'm not. But with particular people, I think I radically am. I think there is a need, not for everyone to love me, but I want particular people to tell me I'm okay. I worked it out. I've got a boss. Uh, He's not Jesus. He's called Paul. Uh, Jesus is my ultimate boss. But I worked out quite a number of years ago that Paul has the capacity to take me up or take me down more than a lot of people because I recognize that he's my boss and I recognize that I want his praise and I don't want to be ignored. I don't want to be run down by him. And I found that in myself. That's not particularly a healthy thing to do, but you might do the same thing yourself. So I've just demonstrated how secure I actually am in myself by sharing that with you. Can I just demonstrate that? (laughs) But it's interesting, isn't it? We crave recognition. Whose voice do you want to hear? Whose voice do you long to praise you? Do we crave recognition so much that we go out there And we would be tempted to do what Jesus says so that they do come along and say, come up to the seat. You are not, you are worth more than this. How wonderful to hear those words. We crave them. We crave them. Do we try to build our own righteousness? We can do it in Christian ways. And as we talk about evangelism, we can do it in that way. We can go out and we can share Jesus with people because we might like telling them that they're wrong and it might make us feel that we're right. Or maybe we think, well, Jesus is going to give me a bigger reward. For each person I tell about Jesus, I'm chalking up these treasures in heaven. You see how the self is still very much at play here? And can I just say, that if someone on the receiving end of your evangelism, if you're tempted to do it like that, they're not going to be persuaded that they want to follow Christ because what they're seeing is someone who is self-focused. Ask yourself, how do you react when people don't notice your humble service? You know, maybe you've cleaned up the house and the kids come home or the husband walks in, or the wife walks in, or whatever. And they don't even say, oh, what a wonderfully clean house. Do you feel resentment? How do you feel when you take the lowest seat, and the host doesn't come along and say, oh, you're sitting too low, come up higher. And you're sitting there in the lowest seat 
and everyone thinks that's exactly where you belong? Do you resent that? If you have those feelings, can I suggest that it's evidence that self is alive and well? If you throw the party for the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind, and you know, because Facebook has told you that the cool kids are hanging out over there, and their party is way better than your party, and they don't invite you, because you're hanging out with the, the people that don't really matter. Yeah, the losers, the dags, the people who don't have social capital. How do you feel about that? Fear of missing out. FOMO. Jesus challenges us. He cuts across. He says, no. If you are in it for yourself, this is not how the kingdom works. This is not how the kingdom works. C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, writes a whole chapter. I found out this morning that he didn't actually quote this quote. This is probably Rick Warren's quote, but... I'd still give it to C.S. Lewis because he's better looking than Rick Warren. Anyway, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Jesus is actually saying something that Lewis picks up in his chapter on humility in the book and Warren is probably reflecting as well. That actually, we are to be self-forgetful. Because it's not about us. Humility is thinking about ourselves less. We actually need to think about where our focus is. We need to think about what it looks like. Humility and service in action. There is one person, the truly humble servant. Let me read you from Philippians 2. The one who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Thinking of himself less. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Obviously, Paul here is talking about the Lord Jesus. The one who deserved the highest seat. The guest of honour. The only son of the father. Who came in and took the lowest seat. Being made in human likeness. Taking the form, the very nature of a servant. He came and he served those who could offer him nothing. Paul in Romans tells us that while we were God's enemies, we weren't his friends, we weren't lovable, we were his enemies. And Christ, the Son of God, served. He humbled himself to death on a cross. Why? So that he could extend to us by his grace, an invitation to a banquet that will be the banquet that trumps all banquets. The heavenly banquet with him in heaven. Not because we deserved it, because he chose to love. 
He humbled himself. And this one, this one then didn't seek to reverse his situation. It was God who did that. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name. Jesus doesn't seek his own greatness. The Father bestows it. The name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If we are going to be humble, Christ needs to be our focus. We don't need to look to ourselves. We don't even need to look first to others. We need to look to how Christ has served us. Because as he has served us, as he has humbled himself and died for us, we see one who freely bestows upon us greatness. Greatness. Not because we are great, but because he is a great saviour. He gives us glory, not because we are glorious, because he chooses to share that with us. He gives us a seat at the banquet because he chose to serve us through his death and resurrection. Where is your focus? It must be on Christ. It must be on him. Now, hopefully you've taken time, if you were here last week and you grabbed one of our vision documents, to read it. And we introduced there a model to think about mission. And here it is. It's a nice five level. I've put nice little colours there. I want to talk this morning about that bottom level, about culture. Because we, as a church, need to be a church that is focused on Christ. That is our culture. We need to be focused on Christ, not because it makes us better, but because Christ is worth focusing on. God must first work in us. He must change our hearts. He must show us how he has served us. So if we then go out and speak in his name, we don't do it to win points with him, with ourselves, with others. We go out as humble servants. We go out with love and grace, not telling everyone where they're wrong and why we're so good, but as Spurgeon said, as beggars telling other beggars where to get food, where to get a feed, we need to go out with humility. So as I talk about mission, as we think about this as a church, we need to think first of ourselves. And God has to do a work of grace in us. And then... He may choose to work through us. He may choose to work through us. We need to humble ourselves because Christ humbled himself for us. Humility is a funny thing. You can't work on it. Have you ever, ever thought about that? Because if humility is actually thinking about yourself less... I must be more humble. What's, what's wrong with that phrase? You, you see it? It doesn't work. 
And then if you make progress and you notice you're making progress, how does that work? How do you work on being humble? I'm more humble than Matt. I'm more humble than Simon. Really? How does that work? Well, it's actually thinking about yourself less. It's actually taking the focus off yourself. And so Trinity Church Brighton, one of the key things we need to actually work on is putting our focus on Christ. And so one of the key things as we talk about mission is are we a community that worships? Are we a community that loves him? Are we a community that delights in his word? Because as we take our focus off us and put it on him, we will overflow as his love fills us. And we will speak to others in true humility, in true love, with words of grace. Brothers and sisters, where is our focus? Jesus challenges the Pharisees, he challenges each of us. And as we think about next year, he rattles our cage. Hopefully he works in our hearts. And the amazing thing, and I pointed it out last week, you'd expect after last week that Jesus would have got up and left lunch and left those Pharisees behind, but he stays. And you know what? He's still there at lunch. Lunch continues, and so does our vision series next week. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would be at work in us. Father, where we as your people have been concerned with what we can get, concerned with our own status, concerned with our own achievement, Father, we do ask that you would give us hearts that are truly repentant, Because we seek to build things out of things that will never last. Where you give us an identity, an achievement, a status in Christ that is freely given. That both humbles us and exalts us. Father, fix our eyes upon Christ. Fix our eyes upon your love that we see in him. His power, your power. His grace, your grace. His love, your love. Father, humble us that we might be truly people who love and reflect you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now Simon's going to come and continue in prayer.